I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey guys, <laughs> what's up? Hi, Daddy. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Don't do that. <laughs> that was Cute. my bad. We're here. We're here. <laughs> We're all it's, together. You know, it's funny. It's gonna. I feel like there's gonna be a, like a slight difference in the quality of the audio because because we're all in the same room so we're getting a little bit a little bit of technical no no how here a for, bit of mic but, bleed. but we're gonna have a, some mic bleed uh, you know it's where it's uh, uh, our voices seeping into each other's microphones. First time since Daddy Strang. It's like vocal fluid bonding. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking. That sounds gross. You know? Can you remind me of what fluid bonding is? Nah, that's for that's a different <laughs> podcast. Turn <laughs> me on podcast you know, every Wednesday. Wherever you find you know fine podcasts. Is that you you say that, but like you say that and I'm like, oh shit, I wonder if the audio is gonna suck. But then I remember that we recorded the podcast in person for like four and a half years before yeah. this last <laughs> and, year. And yeah. and now and now I have to turn to look at you. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, isn't it, yeah, isn't it weird? <laughs> so, so folks, we are um, we are recording this Feel Good Friday episode from our brand new studio uh, HQ. You HQ, might call it Sick Boy HQ. Mm, do you guys want to do an online game show that is kind of like an Instagram Live where we get people to vote uh, vote on questions and then we give away like. $25,000. Dude, is game? HQ still $25,000? Do you remember dead. HQ? I played, yeah. I played HQ every day for three months. What's up, HQDs? That was such what a was the game. guy's name? I can't remember. Oh. Scott. Yes. Rogowski? Scott Rogowski. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Great geez. memory, guys. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're here in, uh, in Sick Boy HQ, and we're really excited um, to be recording in person again. Man, fuck. Crazy. It's crazy, right? Like mm. the the pandemic shook everything up. Who knows? Maybe this. Maybe the, it'll shake everything up again in like a, a few weeks, and we'll never be able to re- record in person again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, much money just down the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we're here. We're doing it in person, and uh, we are so elated to have you with us while we're fucking at the studio. Um, I wasn't originally going to do this, but what, what, you know what? Fuck it. Uh. I have, so you, you know how a couple of weeks ago we were like talking about the eargasm thing and we were like putting a call out to our listeners, especially uh, doctor listeners mm-hmm. to yep. chime mm-hmm. in to let us know what that is. Did we get, did we get some uh, feedback? Stop. We didn't. And so, <laughs> and so um, uh, uh, my guess is that every, you know, cause there are a lot of physicians that, that listen to the show. Maybe we just got it right. So they didn't bother to write us. That must be it. Either that or they all heard it and were like, 
I'm never listening again. Uh, I'm tuning out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, okay. So now I pose, I, po- I pose a new question for our medical listeners. Okay. Our medical professional listeners. And this is a personal one for me. Okay. And I think this is, pr- there's, I think what I'm about to pose is something that can be very easily be answered. Okay. So this is a call out to all the medical professionals out there who listen to the show. If you have an answer to this, because I am dying to know, letters at sickboypodcast.com. Let us know. Y'all know how I lost my, like, 75% of my colon a couple of years ago. What? Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah dude. Wild, right? So they went in, took it out, threw it in the garbage. Um, and, and in the middle of that surgery, they also, the surgeon... Um, Accidentally oh. nicked my right. gallbladder. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that had to go. And you got useless, gangrene. Useless on it. organ. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, actually. I, I've, I've come to learn that that organ is great to have. Wait, what? What does it do but, again? Isn't yeah. it just a second bladder for when the first one gets too full? But like you're on a road trip, there's a, you got to hold it <laughs> right. in. Yeah. Yeah. It it's just like, goes in the gallbladder. Right. Right? Too much pain. Give it to the gall. The gall's yeah. like, oh, oh, I'll take it. Oh. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh god! Don't do that. Don't guzzle. Do Don't guzzle in the, on the mic. It was originally called a guzzle bladder. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> no, no, the gallbladder. Uh, and again, you know, letters at sickboypodcast.com. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the the gallbladder is is what one of the functions that it has is that it helps break down f- um, fat. Mm. So mm. so when you eat fatty food. And you don't have a gallbladder, at least for the first little bit, your body's like, dude, I don't know what the fuck. So, so when I had that surgery for a good chunk of time after, let's say I had like some oily food. Like I, I ordered some like Chinese food and, and had some like really good egg rolls. Thank God you don't eat oily food very often. <laughs> I'm made of Chinese food. Um, Do you know, Jer just like, just it, hey, he started ordering. He started ordering food. Rather, I mean, he was on such a roll of making his own food, but now he's <laughs> now he started to order food. No just, way, really? Hey, yeah, you became quite the home chef there. Look, you know, it's actually oddly enough. As soon as we uh, put out those HelloFresh ads, uh, I, I'm I'm back on the HelloFresh. You sent me a photo. You made pad thai. Yeah, yeah, that was actually made pad thai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you made it. Yeah, I made it. Yeah, yeah. yeah are you fucking with me? <laughs> huh? Fuck you. Wait, was it was it Hello Fresh? Yes, man, I made it myself. Yeah. <laughs> made God, it yourself you by taking it out of the container? <laughs> out of the takeout container. We're gonna have to talk to CBC about getting paid for another ad. <laughs> <laughs> so um so so yeah, like I would have a meal that's really oily and my gallbladder's not there, and so like my shit would be fatty? Oil. Like it would just be what? like oily shit. Well, Whoa. don't we just call that diarrhea? No, this is something way different. Oh. I'm talking like, you know when you put like essential oil in a diffuser yes. and you can yeah. see the the sort of like, the sort of um, like oil spill kind of look <laughs> to the water? I just want to say, unfortunately, I can picture it very yeah. well. Now. So your toilet you that- was like the Gulf of Mexico circa whatever year that it was. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. 100%. Oh, wow. But instead of... Oh, but this is like BP 2010. Yeah. No, it's even worse. Deepwater <laughs> Horizon. Instead of the... Instead of that dark, dark color, it's like a, it's like a, it's like orange. Oh. Yeah. Like so a like, vibrant orange, like think, highlighter orange. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a fiery orange <laughs> wow. oil. Oh my God. Do you think that's what Dave's shits are like? <laughs> <laughs> Our friend Dave Culligan has red hair. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, 
back to this question, right? So I have my 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 large intestine pulled out of me, which also uh, there's going to be a lot of poop talk here, folks. So buckle up. Um, it's quite your, unusual for us. Your your <laughs> large intestine, its job, one of its jobs, is to pull out a lot of the water content from your shit. So like when you're digesting food and it's getting it's it's processing and turning into doo doo, it's going through the small intestine as like a you know very fluidy and then it gets to the large intestine and the large intestine is like let's take that fluid out and then that's what makes it a formed uh piece of shit it like bakes diarrhea yeah yeah, exactly it it starts as diarrhea and if your large intestine is doing its job it dehydrates it and then you get a nice like yeah Number four mm. poop. Is that science or is that bro science? That's bro science, Brian. That's uh, <laughs> that, that'll be posted on my account later today. Is, if you're following that, bro, yeah. bro science, Brian. That is bro science, but I I bet you a lot of the medical professionals listening would go, yeah, but kind of. Yeah, See, it's not really bro science. It's science for bros. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So that's my tagline. <laughs> so so here's my here's my question. Okay, so since that day my bowel movements haven't been the same. I go much more regularly than I used to, you know, before the surgery, I would go like two times a day, three would be like, well, I shit a lot today. And every time would be like a nice, I was, I, you know, I had really nice formed poops. It Point was, of pride. It, yeah. It was, yeah. And, and they always felt really great. It was really awesome. Got any pics? <laughs> I'm I think sure I might, does. actually. I think I might, I think I might have <laughs> I'm some. I'm sure I do that he sent me. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there were great poops. I, was, I wanted to show everyone. That's really hot. <laughs> After the surgery, though, it was like, it was diarrhea central. It was diarrhea land. It was diarrhea, like, like hashtag diarrhea life. Have you guys, you guys seen that hashtag going around Twitter? I haven't, but I can assume or guess. Yeah. Hashtag diarrhea life. You know, it was real. It was my life. Is that something that you came across or is that something that you looked up? No, I'm just starting it right now. So hashtag diarrhea life. If you know what I'm talking about, just start Mm -hmm. that hashtag, start Mm -hmm. that trend. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that was 2017, October, 2017. We are now what? February, 2021. Over the last year, I'll wane, I'll wax and wane between kind of formed poops, but usually oftentimes really loose, but like never, but not straight liquid, which is what it used to be early days. Okay. Mm. But something I've been noticing as of late, and I'm wondering if this is what's happening to me. So this is the question to our doctors. On days where I'm really hydrated, where I've drank lots of water, and I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling like I can feel in my body that I've gotten ample amounts of water today or over the last few days. I'm also noticing <laughs> that there's a lot of hydration in the toilet after I sit down and take a poop. So what I'm saying is, can, am I hydrating to the point where I'm making myself have diarrhea? Oh, wait, hold on. Like, you, you mean... You mean you're hydrating, you're drinking a lot of water. Yeah. So you are having much more liquidy turds? I just happen to notice that I'm having, there's no such thing as turds. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying I'm noticing, especially on the days that I'm hydrated, I'm squirting out of my butt. (laughs) Oh, rather rather than, like it sounds, we'll put it this way. When I'm taking a shit, if you were standing outside the bathroom, you'd be convinced I was taking a pee. I'd just like to apologize <laughs> to the uh, 
three listeners that are still listening to this episode right now because <laughs> hey, uh, all the OG I didn't listeners know yeah, go here. They, but everybody who stick or stuck with it is <laughs> they hardcore. But, but then what role does urinating play then? Like because I at first when I hear you say that I go, yeah, of course. It sounds like if you're drinking a ton of water, it sounds like it would make sense that you're basically having more diarrhea. But no, but I think but you need then, to have salt content for in the water for it to be digested through your intestines rather than being processed through your uh, through like your uh, colon, uh, your kidney, and your bladder. So, so are you drinking salt water or are you drinking? <laughs> no, you're not drinking salt water. water right? <laughs> no, no, I'm drinking like um, I'm drinking a lot of carbon. Salt water, water cleanse. That's a yogic thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's really intense. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm getting that cleanse regardless. So, Interesting. Yeah. So the question that you're putting. So the question the I'm posing is, is is because of the because I'm missing a bunch of colon. Does does hydrating make me more diarrhea like? That is a very good question. Did you ask them at clinic? You went to clinic the other day. Yeah, I forgot. Right. <laughs> yeah. So does that mean you have to do? So when you accumulate when when like when you're in between clinic, do you do you do you keep like a running list of questions that you're going to ask in the next three months? In my head, and then I never remember. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think might be the the answer to that? To me not remembering things? Yeah. Uh, lack of oxygen to my brain. <laughs> no, I mean like, like, what's the like, solution like what's to, the solution to this, like, oh, to this oh. problem? Um, hmm. I think he's trying to get you to answer hmm. by saying something like writing them down. Like write it down. Like we've got a whiteboard here in this new, like you could take advantage <laughs> no, of this whiteboard. No, I don't <laughs> think that's it. You've got a calendar. You've got notes. You've got, there's, you can get a notepad. I could do these things. Um, no, but I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I got a good idea for you actually. Why don't you, every time you come up with a question, do you know your like next clinic days? Like roughly? every three months. So, you know, but you know, like pretty much when they're going to be right. Yeah. Like so, every three months. So if you know right now when your, <laughs> when your next clinic visit is going to be, then you just say, Hey, this is really good. This is a really good idea. And you can take it and use it. So I suggest oh, that you thanks. say, I suggest that you say, Hey Siri, remind me on this day to ask clinic this question. And then you'll just have a bunch of. Oh. Questions stored in your calendar, dude, and then that's you ask them. A, that's actually yeah. a great, Fucking good yeah. idea. And you know what? Yeah. If we were if we were doing this uh, virtually, I feel really good about that. Which we which we usually are. <laughs> I would good. I would go on Slack right now and I would put a fire and a one hundred emoji. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And I would for say sure. that was straight. I appreciate fire that. Hey, 100. speaking of uh, fire and one hundred, did you guys check this fucking thing out? The I did. Nike, yes. Yeah. The Dude. Nike Go Fly Ease. Dude, I'd buy a pair of those in a heartbeat. I, so yeah. they're, they're exclusive for members initially, right? You yeah. have to be like a Nike only for the first, member. Only mm-hmm. for the first so few months. I went and tried to sign up to become a Nike member because I want those shoes What's so the bad. Nike membership all about? It's free. Oh. Well, yeah. So so for the listeners, um, there is a new set of shoes that Nike has uh, is is un- unraveling right now. Uh, they're called the Go fly ease uh, i highly suggest you go to google and look these things up there's a little gif that we're watching here of someone using the shoes but the idea is that these are like um really comfortable mm. yeah, shoes that, that don't mm. require um don't require your hands to put them on so like you know the mm. four of us sitting watching this it's like oh these are really cool you just slip them on like slippers they kind of and then you click your heel down and the shoe locks into place um and that's pretty cool and they look super comfy and they look fucking dope mm-hmm. but what's really neat about these shoes <clears throat> is that um these shoes 
could very well kind of like um, offer up a really accessible option for people who, unlike us, have a bit of a harder time getting footwear onto their feet. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's think of like our friend. Um, That's a way better angle. Cause I was like, is there a, is this supposed to be a COVID angle to this? Like well, you don't well, have to no. touch your shoes. I was like, that's, no, that doesn't I think really fucking the story, make any sense. They were developed, I think because somebody with uh, <clears throat> a disability that I don't remember exactly what it was, but I can look it up. Uh, he like wrote to Nike saying that he was having trouble putting on shoes. And then they were like, okay, well we'll just develop a type of shoe that you can wear and yeah, just like all great uh, products where accessibility is kind of like baked in from the start. Mm. Like it's, it's not only it's, it's great accessibility cause it's, it's good. Not just for people with that condition. Like I, I would yeah, love yeah, to not have yeah. to bend yeah. over to put on shoes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, God, kind of especially like getting old as fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, my back's all fucked up all the time. I would love to just step what, into my shoes. What well, I really wanted to say was uh, it would just be sad if we didn't acknowledge how good your segue was Jerry, into this part of the conversation, <laughs> because yeah. not to distract from the fact that these accessible shoes are amazing, but that fire emoji, 100 emoji this is, transition. Are, that these was, are, these are a fire. That's what I really wanted to say about these. They these are, are fire. fire. And, but, but the, the, that's a great, that's a great point, Lauren. And, and it is, and we've touched on this a lot on the show in the past is the fact that we have, all the there's so many accessibility features on an iPhone or a whatever whatever phone you have, um, and you know things like Google Assistant, Alexa, all that shit, um, virtual assistants. They are like we look at them as can't, oh fuck can't I say Alexa I can't say Alexa you can't I mean, say Alexa too loud she she fucking shush. hear you, she hear you. <laughs> so, Alexa has entered so you, the chat so, oh fuck oh dude you said it again <laughs> Alexa no. <laughs> Alexa, stop. Alexa, bam. Bam. Alexa, bam. Alexa, Alexa, is Alexa the new Kyla? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a hilarious throw. Um, so, but 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 the 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 fact is is that all these things they have these they have they we look at them as cool technology, but at their heart, they are an accessible technology. Like that's right. like they like a necessity Google, for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so I, it, this made me think of our friend uh, Tally. Mm. Uh, she's nubs and you know our friend tally doesn't have um doesn't have hands um and i can imagine get, you know she fuck this this girl's badass as shit she walks around in fucking uh doc martens that are like laced up you know i i i bought a pair of doc martens uh last year after having worn blundstones for like eight years straight and having to lace up a pair of dude i uh, it drives me fucking nuts i'm in the same position not that not that tolly would like like these shoes i don't know but maybe someone like her who's like i'm fucking tired of having Mm. to like slide like pull these boots on when i don't i don't even have fucking hands to do it to just slide in, to like glide into a pair of shoes just click them in they're great looking shoes they are they look great they look super Mm. comfy and uh, and also, you know, it's it, I feel like this is kind of in in response to COVID. Um, when I was doing some research into this story, um, uh, I didn't realize this, but Crocs 
Oh, yeah. Crocs went up 55% in revenue since COVID started. Dude, yeah. chilling at home? People, Crocs. Yeah, people just want to chill at home in fucking comfort. Go to the grocery store? Yeah. Crocs. Yeah. Dude, I bought my first Go to the bank? pair of Crocs. Uh, slippers Crocs. in a while because I was like, I, you know, I don't own a pair of slippers and I've been spending so much time at home. Like, I need some comfy footwear for the house. Mm-hmm. And when I, I read that article about Crocs too, and it makes so much sense. But uh, I, like, I also want to highlight the fact that, like, I think most companies should take this approach to innovation. Like if you're innovating your product already, which most companies should be doing to stay with or ahead of the times, like you should be considering things like this because if Mm -hmm. you can, if your product is limited to a market that doesn't include people who live with disabilities or Mm. accessibility issues, you're missing a huge part of the market, but also Mm. not only are you missing a part of the market, you're letting people down in a way too. So I think that uh, I think that I hope, or I hope, my hope is that uh, other businesses see this and go, "Shit, that's a good idea. We should be doing that. We yeah. shouldn't be neglecting people with disabilities." Yeah. <laughs> Innovation is key, which leads me to this sweet little innovation uh, coming out of China. We've talked at length with a number of people on the show, especially on these Feel Good Friday episodes, about the um the tactic being used to test wastewater to track um covid uh outbreaks and so this totally makes sense to me if that works uh china is now deploying anal swab tests to detect Ooh. high risk covid-19 mm. cases this is coming out of forbes Um, Chinese authorities struggle to contain rising COVID-19 infections ahead of the Lunar New Year celebrations. Beijing has introduced anal swabs as a new type of coronavirus test that could detect the virus more accurately. So a uh, state-run channel, CCTV, reported that the tests are reserved for high-risk cases, although there does, there does not appear to be a coordinated policy for them with reports of surprise tests for some individuals. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, wow. That sounds... <laughs> <laughs> you, know what, you know what, though? I, like, as soon as I hear you start to talk about this, I picture... So my mom, when uh, she got bladder cancer, she was teaching in China at the time, so That's she right. was going to the hospital for her... Oh, uh, yeah. For her... Um, when, when she first noticed blood in her urine, she was going to the hospital there. And uh, she was telling me what the hospital scene is like there. And basically you go and you like get in a line and you're like sort of in this hallway and everybody, you can see everybody in the lineup, at least in the hospital that she was in. Was she mainland China? uh, Yeah, she was. Yeah, right. And so she was waiting in this line in the hallway and it extended right into like the the doctor's room and Mm. everybody sort of stands around the doctor. There's no privacy. Like you're just... You go and you wait in the line and like everybody can hear what the doctor's saying to you and the doctor just checks you up and and sort of sends you on on your way. Now, of course, this is one one town in 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 mainland China. So it's like it it could be very different. Yeah, it could be it could be like uh, Edmonton, Alberta versus Halifax. No, there's 80 million people in this town. Uh, But uh, but but the 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 interesting thing is that with these anal swabs, could you imagine having a lineup mm. full of people going down the hall and them just going, all right. Yeah. Well, uh, the people that are included in this list of, Put it of in potential my surprise tests, <laughs> this includes passengers <laughs> arriving in Beijing, residents of quarantine centers, and according to local officials, a group of more than 1,000 school children and teachers believed to be exposed to the virus. Mm. 
The test basically involves inserting a, a cotton-tipped swab up to two inches into the rectum mm. uh, that will then be tested for the virus. That's two inches. Two inches. Is that far enough for it to be fun? That's, <laughs> that's pretty that's, fun. Because maybe... Two inches? That's only that much. I think as soon as it breaks the barrier, it... That's not bad. Have you had a have has Kylie inserted her finger two inches she, into your butt no, while you guys hasn't. are having fun times? No, she hasn't. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> I'm sure it's I mean, enough. I mean one quarter inch. Maybe it's to get more people to get enough. tested. I mean, I had that finger in my ass in Vegas. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that was like nine inches. <laughs> um it, uh, anal swab tests could be more accurate than nose or throat tests, says okay, so uh, this is this is what Lee Tong Zhang, Deputy Director of Respiratory and Infectious Disease Department in Beijing. That's what he, they are saying. Um, but there are uh, there are people who have spoken up to to about that claim, saying that they don't believe that this is the key way to testing for a respiratory virus. Um, uh, Lee said studies show that the virus lasts longer in the anus or excrement than in the respiratory tract, oh. and that an anal test could be better identifying the disease or uh, in mild or asymptomatic cases. Um, so Forbes, you know, they, they they reached out to China's health agency for more details on the on the test rollout, and they approached the U.S. CDC and FDA to see whether they have plans to introduce the anal swab tests. Um, so I guess you know, I guess we'll, we'll wait, see. We'll wait and we'll see. Mm -hmm. But so they so they do they're starting to give these these anal swab tests and. What happens? Well, a video pops up in China, goes viral, super viral. And uh, this is the video right here. No, don't tell me it's a... Stop. So all these people oh, oh, no. waddling. <laughs> oh, my God. Waddling after getting their, their butts checked. Are you? Oh, my God. Dude. <laughs> they're, all, they're all waddling like penguins. Do yeah. we know if it was post-COVID test or was there something well, else and well, it's just being taken out of context? Now, this, well, this is the thing. This viral, this video went viral. It was saying these are images reportedly. These oh are images of people <laughs> waddling out of the hospital <laughs> like penguins after having their anuses swallowed. Dude, this guy in the red jacket... Is I mean, he is he is putting on a show? Now, That's, he's putting on a show. Yeah. He looks yeah. like Taylor after a big night. Out when yeah. You're like 19 years old, dude. Look at him. Yeah, he's wasted. If I was to guess, if I was to guess, I would say that these people had that swab a little higher than yeah, uh, than two than inches, two inches, and the swab and the swab must is be bigger than I thought it was. <laughs> looks like the swab's probably about ten thousand kilos, <laughs> a bit girthier. If uh, you <laughs> well, here's the thing it's about a that girthy video. swab. They were lubing it properly before <laughs> so that video explodes and um uh again this is from forbes so this is the same people who put out the is that, article that video was on the forbes article no no i had to go <laughs> i had to go searching for it uh the forbes has another article here here's the here's the title anal swab covid test won't make you waddle like a penguin china says <laughs> <laughs> china says like oh the God. government the country <laughs> says so they, you yeah, waddle they like had, a they had to, the, the government had to step in Chinese officials reassured members of the public Monday that newly introduced anal swab coronavirus tests will not make them waddle like penguins <laughs> after a video purportedly showing people struggling to walk after using them went viral online. 
Dude, I love that. I, you know what? This is so great because we're just busting myths here on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Mythbusters 2.0. Uh, the video, uh, the original video, which is set to a laugh track, is doctored and faked, officials said. No, an explanation on what the video does show was not offered. Uh, and then they go into to say the new tests, which involve inserting a cotton-tipped swab Wait, about two inches into the rectum and with Chinese authorities say can detect the virus more accurately than oral and nasal methods is only being used for high-risk cases owing to less than convenient methods of testing. <laughs> so hold on. Was the, so was the video a complete farce? Apparently. Yeah, apparently. So I, there, I, aren't a, there aren't signs that show a, 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 a person with their bare ass. And f- yeah, if, for folks who, who didn't get to see the video, uh, I suggest you Google, uh, try Googling... Anal <laughs> Chinese penguin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 100% Google that and you'll see exactly. <laughs> it's funny because that will probably work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, it also says here, there's a, there's a chief critic here. Uh, not all experts agree with the use of anal swabs uh, to test for respiratory illness. Yang Zhangqi, a, a pathology expert at Wuhan University, told China, China's Global Times that nose and throat swabs are the most effective ways to gather test samples for COVID-19. Well, I think that the butt can still be respiratory. It's called farting. Yeah. Mm, that's that's right. right. Yeah. God yeah. damn. Breath of the butt. Did not think about that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That Breath of the Butt, that's the actually the sequel to Breath of the Wild, the new uh, Zelda game that's coming yeah. out this year, twenty twenty one. It's a big right. one. <laughs> have you guys all had nasal swab for COVID? No. I haven't. You I haven't? Have no. Have you had nope. you haven't had it either? You've had it? No. You're the I mean, only you've one. You've been tested though, right? No, I haven't. You never got tested? Oh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, my brother's been tested like forty five times though. So yeah, wild. it's crazy. Um, that's wild. None of you got tested. Yeah, yeah dude, we don't have COVID because we we're not we're staying at home. That's right. Oh we're, well, well, well don't being, do that because then you're making really people then you're making we, people feel we bad. We have been good about it, Taylor. Yeah. Oh my God, you're gonna be though. You're anybody, those people. Anybody who gets tested, they're being risky. You know. You know, I actually, I actually, um, Warren, you made it. You made a good point. You made a good point. Um, uh, this was months ago. Now in November when we did our lockdown. Uh, no, it was actually, it was, it was well before that, but you made a point that really stuck with me when you were talking about like the demonization of getting COVID and like, mm. and the stigma, the, the stigma around yeah. people mm. being like, oh, you got COVID. You must be a bad person because yeah. you were, you must have been doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, well, how else will and, you get and when we had that, when we had the lockdown in November, the second, the second lockdown here in Nova Scotia, we had, um, we had a case at our yoga studio and, um, and that was something that I had to, I, that I said, I put oh. out a note to all of our yeah. teachers because it was kind of this, like, there was immediately this, like, oh, who was it? Was it a case case or was it an exposure? Because I, I remembered seeing. Like it was an exposure. Like there was oh, an okay. ex- exposure at the, at the studio. Yeah. yeah. So somebody, okay. somebody who was at the studio had COVID yeah. and then there was a potential exposure. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. But somebody so, had so it. Like, so like, so. So who the fuck was it? So, so, so the health authority called us and was basically like, Hey, there was was an exposure. (laughs) Yeah, it was my dog. And, and, uh, but there was immediately this, you know, when we contacted like the teacher who was teaching and, you know, everything like that, it was, there was immediately like a, Oh, Oh, I bet it was like this person or that. And and it was like, Hey, well, it, it doesn't matter. Totally. I mean, there's been numerous, uh, and again, this is, this is specifically for Nova Scotia, but I'm sure that the public health officials across the provinces and, and I don't know, maybe in the, in the U S I don't really know how much, um, how much they're, they're 
hitting the televisions and kind of giving you you guys updates down there. But here in Canada, you know, it's we get like weekly, sometimes daily uh, addresses from our 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 uh, you know our our, our public health public officials. health officials with with the the premier, which is basically our like governor. Um, and a number of times, Doctor Strang, you know, in those press interviews is like he speaks up to be to be like hey can we fucking cool it with the bullying you know like can we can we drop this but this like shitty attitude that we have towards the people that are catching the bullying sometimes came from the media like really trying to push to find out and like Mm -hmm. i mean you know i guess everyone has a job to some extent journals are trying to get all the information possible but like it but doesn't really matter. Well, and that's yeah. the thing. And it's, it's an, it's an illness. It's invisible. You can't see how it gets from one person to another. And then sometimes it'll lead to uh, yeah. character assassinations of people that, mm-hmm. and that you can't even prove that an outbreak that that person or whatever was responsible for a certain outbreak. Like mm. earlier on in the pandemic, there was this doctor in New Brunswick yeah. that um, that right. basically got doxxed by a media outlet. Yeah. That um, motherfucker, that fucking motherfucker. <laughs> right. But it was like, it was horrible. Like he, he and his family kept getting death threats and oh, he yeah, right, like, right, right, right. and he, he was allowed to, to go into Quebec. Well, he was allowed to go into Quebec because it was like, it was like for a, a uh, and he's an essential worker and he was like, he needed his poutine. And there was, it was con- a poutine. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were like essential conflicting poutine. regulations and, and anyway, and, but then he, but he also like, he did his best to minimize risk for, for everyone. And then he basically got yeah. doxxed by a media outlet and yeah. it was basically like just also racist because he's an yeah. of African descent and like mm-hmm. and then he got a bunch of racist abuse and I think I'm sure that part of the reason that <laughs> he was so demonized both by the media and by the community was because of his mm-hmm. race so mm-hmm. yeah, it was really unfortunate hey my mom got it you know my yeah. mom's and my mom's like and she's not a terrible that much of a piece of shit <laughs> she's well, I'm sweet <laughs> um, hey uh, this has been really fun I'm really glad that we got to uh, hang out in real life for the first time in a while. This For is real. really great. Yeah. Um, Lo, why don't you, uh, why don't you let us know where, so, you know, we had, a, we had a bit of a fucking week, uh, storms, cutting out power, people feeling sick, us trying to get shit into the studio, tech issues. So we had a couple of recordings that had to be canceled this week. Uh, we don't have an interview lined up for Feel Good Friday this week, but Lo, uh, lo and behold, Lo, <laughs> steps in with uh, uh, an idea to to replay a past um, interview that we've had. And uh, why don't you tee us up? Absolutely. Well, I figured that, um, you know, instead of just like an hour to an hour and 30 minutes of us just kind of <laughs> talking about, Talk, talking talking about, my talking diarrhea. about poop and farts and diarrhea, um, it's Black History Month. And I thought that... Um, it would be edifying for everyone if we could uh, replay one of our one of our best episodes, which was with uh, Taria Jadi, uh, who is a PhD candidate at um, in political science at Dalhousie University, who specializes in um, in uh, racial health inequities. And it was such a great conversation. Uh, it was really I, I went and I uh, cut it down from an, an hour to to uh, forty five minutes. Um, but which was, which was hard to do because there was so, um, it was a great conversation and there mm. was, um, so much important content. So, mm. so yeah, that's, Sweet. that's, well, we're going to have Tari serving us. 
Without further ado, uh, enjoy this recording from days gone by, from past days in the past, gone the, through the, behind the shoulder future, and, and future days. Days of future past. <clears throat> and uh, we will we'll catch you all on the other side. There's a quote um, by Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who is a very famous scholar and abolitionist, um, and she frames racism specifically as the state-sanctioned or extra-legal production and exploitation of group-differentiated vulnerability to premature death. So that's a whole bunch of very jargony words, but what that really means is that like, racism is not simply about how a person feels deep down inside, it's about exposing them to premature death with the power of the state, right? And so when we start mm. to think about that, we can see these very profound connections between the policies that are made in our government, um, not simply in healthcare, but in things like policing and things like urban planning in things like education um, and things like even economic policy and the suffering and death potentially of black communities. And one of the ways that I like to flip this kind of mindset is also to look at, well, the resistance to that exposure to vulnerability to premature death is in fact a form of healing, right? So if you're combating that kind of exposure to your demise, well, you're, not only is your resistance saving your own life, it's also healing others. And right. so I think that that's a really important and profound connection to make. What in in a in in a field where where there seems to be so many intersections of how of how things can can affect a population kind of like just kind of pointing to what you were saying there, Brian, like the just the, the the sheer difficulty of of all of the connections, how everything plays into how how the health the outcomes for health of a community, and then all the way and then uh, and then also all the way down to the health of an individual. What in terms of 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 making it a little bit more um, mind wrappable, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What are some of the what are some of the 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 really kind of like meaty? I know you mentioned policing. What are the some of the meaty, juicy issues that are that really stick out and stand out that you can point to and say, like, really, these are kind of maybe like the top three things that we think are affecting things and that we want to affect change within. Right. So excluding the healthcare system and actually just for the purposes of this conversation, excluding policing as well. I think that if we look at housing, right, where someone lives is so vitally important to their well-being, especially within the context of a pandemic. Right. Mm. So if you live in substandard housing or if you live in housing that you can barely afford, that affects everything you do. (laughs) Um, That affects the decisions that you can make. That affects the air that you're breathing inside of the home you have. Let's say you have black mold sitting in the corner because you're living in substandard accommodations, that's going to affect your health, right? That, mm-hmm. that, will, that will impact you. Food. Um, so food security, food availability, availability to fresh fruits and vegetables, that's vital, right? Because when we think about um, particular 
diseases like diabetes and things like that, they have a dietary component. That's not the only thing that is responsible for um, producing diabetes in people, but it it does have an effect, right? So if you can't mm. access fresh fruits and vegetables because in your na- your neighborhood's been gentrified, there's no grocery store anywhere close to you, you don't have a car, and so you're going down to the convenience store and sipping on pop a lot of the time, mm. well, then that, that, that has an effect. That has a clear and demonstrable effect on your health. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one I would say, kind of e- thinking about this idea of gentrification is, Urban planning, right? So what does your neighborhood, what's your community look like? Are you, you know, certainly Dr. Waldron has spoken often about environmental racism and kind mm. of the impacts of environmental racism on people's health. We can we can take that to very urban context in Halifax and talk about, well, do you have access to transportation effectively? Do you have access to access to active transportation? Because we're we're deciding that active transportation is a vital thing for a community. Well, are there bike lanes in your neighborhood or will you get hit by a car, right? Like, mm-hmm. so these these things, even though they seem like they're just, oh, these are diffuse policy issues. Once you start to understand how embedded race is into policymaking um, in our region, you really start to understand, I think, why it's so vital that we mm-hmm. kind of have this deep reflection and make a significant change Um within the context of the way we think about policy here. And what, we were, what? when we were talking about, we were talking about recreational therapy the other day and we were, uh, yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago, right. Yeah. And we, were, right. and we were chatting about, um, you know, barriers to entry for certain recreational activities from, yeah. you know, something that could be, you know, really athletic to very leisurely. And, um, and the idea of something, the, the thing that we got, we kind of got stuck on a little bit was not stuck on, but we ended up chatting about for a bit was the idea of hiking. It's like, Hey, go for a hike. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you live in a city, if you live in the North end and you don't have a car and buses don't go out to where you can hike, then like, you know, just, this is yeah. like something simple. Yeah. that's like, go for a hike, like is inaccessible on so many levels for, for such a, for such a large uh, population of people, which something that you just don't, that you just don't, you don't make the connection until you really until you until you really think about it and you have those conversations and something that I I I live I live in a gentrified neighborhood I live on I live on just off of Gricola, um right. around uh, in, in the North End and Taylor get like, more specific about it my address is yeah 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 and and I and and I at the time and I guess it kind of speaks to how I guess people as a people as a community or people, I'm not really sure exactly how to say this, but almost like a, almost like an organism, I guess. It's like a building gets built and I go, uh, Hey, that's a building that's getting built. And, uh, and the price is good. And so I, uh, I'm going to move there and then I move there and I, and it's really not until after I've moved there that I kind of realized that I'm, I'm, I'm a part of something bigger that's going on here where what was probably here before I think would have been probably some low income housing that would have uh, been, been giving housing to somebody who is, you know, has fewer advantages than I do most likely and how that impacts it when that house gets torn down and this building gets put up and now I live here. And it's not something that I, that I think about that I thought about even until far after the mortgage is done and I'm in, and I'm in the door. Right. Mm. Yeah. No, that, it, it's so it's so you know it's so profound when you start to realize that okay you know you contribute to or 
um, are beneficiary of some of these like unjust policies and practices, right? So I'm not from Halifax, as I'm sure you can tell by my accent, <laughs> right? Um, so, okay, I, I moved to town. Um, I moved into a, a, an apartment in the West End. Okay, cool. And I, and I begin to learn a lot about what it means to be black in Halifax, or more specifically, what it means to be African Nova Scotian, historically African Nova Scotian in Halifax. That mm -hmm. history isn't necessarily readily available to people. It's not something that Nova Scotians advertise. It's not something that people wear proudly, but it's something that has a profound impact. And once you start to realize it, once you start to see it, you can't walk around Halifax in the same way. Like, I can't mm. walk around down in the South End going towards Point Pleasant Park and not see the kind of beneficiaries of a particular kind of power, a particular kind of privilege, and also a particular kind of exclusion that exists in the North End or in the Prestons or elsewhere, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's they're all tied. And so, again, understanding our individual benefit that is based on the oppression of others, I think is the linkage that I really want folks to start thinking about when we think about policy, when we start to think about our responsibility to each other. I, I think, so you you really set this up kind of perfectly. And I think just to just so that Brian will like feel like he's got what he needed out of this conversation, uh, I'd like to throw to a TikTok. Really? I can't believe I'm fucking saying this right now. I'd like to throw really? to a TikTok that act, that actually speaks to, it, uh, this is actually something that came out. And I, and I have to, I have to say TikTok, you know, within the, the, within the, the recent, like, um, uh, you know, uprising of the, of the, of this civil rights movement that we are like currently in right now. TikTok has actually been like a, a pretty spectacular, um, piece of, of, uh, uh, uh so social media that has been like that that has been a source of great um education and learning and and Absolutely. and for like and for and for shining a light on some issues that really need to be uh taken seriously and so i'm this, so glad this that's is, recorded uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right you got it there Brian. so so this was actually sent to us by uh a number of people and actually lauren flagged this within our within our like internal group chats. And I thought it would be kind of useful to bring to the table for this conversation here. But like you, you really just touched on it uh, uh, in what you just, what you just referenced. So uh, can, can we just take a second and watch this and then, and then come back and, and kind of like um, uh, just talk about what it is that we're, we're about to watch. Do black people feel pain the same way as white people? A 2016 study showed that 50% of medical students and residents who were studied thought that black people couldn't feel pain the same way because they had thicker skin or their nerves didn't work the same way. Where is this from? It's a holdover from the days of slavery when white people had to feel better about using slaves. Black people used to be operated on without anesthesia and were used in studies without their consent. So this was a convenient life. To this day, black people are less likely to get the same treatment in terms of pain medication. They're more likely to wait longer in the emergency room. They're less likely to be taken seriously. It's a holdover from the days of slavery. And in my field, this plays a huge role in the black maternal and morbidity crisis. The call to action, doctors, nurses, anybody in the medical field, check your implicit bias. If you see somebody spreading these lies, stop them, but still stop yourself every time you're caring for somebody who has a different skin color than you and check your bias. If you are a woman of color, speak up. If this is happening to you, ask to speak to a different nurse, a different doctor, report them, speak up. Yeah. So like to, to sit and watch that and, and to 
hear those statements like it, it's almost it's all it's so shocking that it almost does like I, I sit here and I go that no there's no way there's right. no way right yet that yeah, is, is the world we find <laughs> ourselves in you know like Absolutely. and and that is yeah. the way that like it's it's crazy that she just stated that like 50 percent of of med students think that black people don't feel pain the same way that white like that is fucking astounding absolutely and you know this is this is something that comes up not not just in medical context right if we look at the reason why darren wilson i believe it was darren wilson the officer who killed mike brown in ferguson in 2014 mm-hmm. one of the legal defenses he used was this guy was charging at him who was superhuman and the bullets were bouncing off him this was a legal defense used to justify why yeah he did he was not culpable for murdering this other human being right like this is a an assumption that has that is made and is carried around mm. um and especially in medical settings black women in particular mm. suffer the burdens as as the video stated of right. this kind of particular understanding of pain this right? is why this is why that statement of 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 it's not enough to be not racist is so important mm-hmm. like like it to be not racist is not enough we need to right. be anti like we need to actively be anti-racist right yeah. you know, and that and that's um that's like, well, it's I, fucking I, crazy to me that I'm 32 years old and that's the first time I've ever, I, like, it's the first time I've, that light bulb's ever gone off where I've gone, oh, fuck. Yeah, right. Talking about, speaking right. about rev- revelations, though, like, I, you know, I, I think one of the things that's been going through my mind a lot in the last couple of months is that it, it goes, it goes back to like these systems that we've created have been, you know, take democracy, for example. This has been around for a few hundred years. When that was when the idea of democracy was created, think about like racism existed, like like not racism yeah. exists now, but like slavery existed, like right. like the the times that we've created and founded these systems. Like think about like take yourself back to what it would be like to live in that time and the oppression of of different types of people. And how that is embedded into the foundation of what those systems were built on. It's like, hey, we need to go back and like think about this. Like think about how this was created Precisely. and the impacts that that has now. Because well, you know, well, <laughs> it's that, clearly that, that, a lot, right? Like, <laughs> right. I mean, well, this, this is it. It's like, okay, when you think of kind of like the Western model of liberal democracy. I, I know I'm probably going a bit way to kind of you know galaxy brain here, but go you think, there. You think about the. Um, Western model of liberal democracy, parliamentary democracy, however you want to define it, um, and you think about its its institution um, in many kind of what we might call Western states. Uh, we're talking about the 16th century where this starts to kick off. You have the English Civil War, no more divine right of kings, among other things, and we can kind of go from there. As many historians will tell you, and historians are way better at political scientists <laughs> doing this, but there was... Race is a taxonomy that emerges from racism, i.e. racism is this particular process that is linked with capital and power, right? You don't get – there weren't pre-existing races that exist, you know, that people thought about and and whatever, and then, of course, we attach racism to it. No, the the system of oppression came first, right? And so – when we see declaration, the Declaration of Independence or something else, when we say all men are created equal, 
we were not people like me were not considered to be men i.e we were not considered to be people right Right, and so that fundamental understanding and assumption i think recasts what we think of as quote-unquote democratic engagement what we think of as right or good or just or neutral and so my whole goal with the research that I do is to try and disrupt what people think of as a neutral or apolitical space. There is, I don't believe there's such a thing. What can we do on some level to, to produce actionable change? Right. And so, and this is where, you know, for me, I always want to get to in the conversation. Um, I, I will never be the person to tell you that just f- f- do these four steps and you'll be anti-racist and the world will be a better place. I'm yeah, not but, selling but it, that kind of snake oil. But, yeah. but, but, but everyone <laughs> loves a good listicle. <laughs> right. You know, like that, that's not the case. Publishing you know, Cosmo. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> a, a, again, the, the the structural racism that exists in Nova Scotia specifically predates the Canadian state. So it is not going away. The foundations of the city of Halifax and of the entire province are very much rooted in the systematic oppression of black and indigenous peoples. Okay. With that being said, um, that is space. There is room for people to take accountability and responsibility um, within their own communities. Right. And part of that means A, doing some of that listening and understanding. Part of that also means making yourself aware of what your levers are to change. So case in point, healthcare in Nova Scotia. My well, the 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 organization that I'm involved with, the Health Association of African Canadians, has engaged the Nova Scotia Health Authority um, over the past few years to produce an African Nova Scotian health strategy. Um, We've moved a little bit of the way on that. Um, They've hired the the health authority's first ever uh, African Nova Scotian health consultant, right? And she's a fantastic dynamic figure um, and she's doing an awful lot of excellent work. We need way more than that, right? And so w- when we start saying we need way more than that, what it really means is, can we hold our democratically elected representatives to account, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. We can go deeper, we can go into the city of Halifax, right? Or the Halifax Regional Municipality. We know that the municipality has um, responsibility over things like transportation within the city limits. We know they have responsibility, by and large, over policing within the city limits. What are we doing to hold our democratically elected representatives to account for the decisions that they are making, especially when we realize that there's a municipal election coming up. I don't Mm. want to reduce this solely to voting because that's not the case. We have Mm. a host of other ways that people can get involved. We have organizations that they can donate to. um, And I'd be happy to send you a list at some point or, 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 you know, figure out some of that stuff. We have actions that they can get involved with if they want to go to a protest, if they want to help out. Um, and of course, there's this kind of mindset mindset shift as well, right? Within your familial relations, within your communal relations. But there is this very specific lever to change that we have, which is we have a system of purported democratic accountability. How do we ensure that we hold our elected representatives to account mm. to follow through on the things that they're claiming? Because yeah. right now we have a whole bunch of legislators, <clears throat> a whole bunch of leaders talking about whole bunch of mess and doing precisely nothing about it. those those i mean i i i think it was very soon after um 
very soon after uh, George Floyd was killed, Killer Mike um, was on TV in Atlanta, and and his his words on on the power of your vote like really really spoke to me, um, and and how and how your how your vote is how your vote is and again like you said not to reduce it just to voting but but voting does voting is a big chunk and how your vote plays into the longevity of of things that happen and and policies that get put into place as long as you're also you're voting in you're voting in the policies and the policies are 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 being, being put in, enacted. being, being enacted yeah. I and think that, that, and a vote's coming up. And like you said, a vote's coming up soon. I mean, I, I, I know that this is going to, that it's going to be a, that it's going to be like a, a hot, uh, a hot button thing with, uh, with people that are running that they're making sure that people here know that where they stand and what their, and what their, uh, what their ambitions are and what their policies, what, the, what policies they want to enact. And, and then our responsibility uh, after after voting people in, like you said, to to hold people accountable. But but acknowledging that um, the the system is also not effective. Yeah. Like, no, like the, like <laughs> yeah, right. the, so because right. one of my frustration with with politics too, and aside from like you know saying the system's broken, blah blah blah. Like the one of my things that is frustrating about it is I feel like change happens so slowly. It's so yeah. incremental, and and it feels like. In the 21st century, we should have a system that that uh, enact change or or expedites change. You know, it's like there to the correct to correct the problems of the past, and it feels like it it doesn't. So, like to to just talk about voting a little bit for for a second here, or the political system for mm-hmm. for a second. Like, what is it about the political system um, that that could change that would positively um, benefit the current situation? Right. Okay. So I will first, uh, firstly, I'd like to say that my, my own personal politics, voting is a tool in a broader toolbox of approaches to state control and state power. Right. So I'm not I'm not one of those. Well, if you if you don't vote, then you are a terrible human being. I am one of those people that looks at it pragmatically. You know, I mean, for goodness sake, when Angela Davis is telling folks to vote for Joe Biden because because Donald Trump is in the White House and we got to get him out so that we can pressure the other guy. That that's that's where my mindset, where my politics are. Right. So let, let me be abundantly clear there. The political system that we have, we we have a system of what we might call responsible government, right? Where the the at least in the provinces and in the and in the uh, federal government, um, we elect the legislators um, of the lower house, and they in turn produce a cabinet that's made out of that particular system, right? So it's meant to ensure that we're always being represented as a society. Um, but part of what's produced when we when we start to think about how our systems of power work is that we've got a very very kind of narrow set of approaches and, and a very very narrow set of people who are around the table making consequential issues um, and without trying to wave the flag of representative politics or rep- or representational politics, we may need to change the kinds of people that are around that table 
to better to better align not only in terms of race but in terms of politics mm. with the kinds of so policy solutions that we would like to see, right? Mm. So if we understand that there are certain ways within our education systems, within our healthcare systems and more, that the Premier of Nova Scotia has considerable power, more so than any other particular figure, then we might say, okay, well, who would we want our Premier to be and who, we, who would we want the people around our Premier to be? How? What is their approach and what is their understanding of the way that capital and capitalism works what is their approach and what is their understanding of the of the of the role of community advocacy and community voice and community power we can start to interrogate and question well who's there and what are they doing right now and what would we like to see in the future at the same time we have to understand that the ways that our communities work aren't solely focused on the state Right. Mm -hmm. So we have the capacity for mutual aid and we have the capacity for mutual engagement. We have the capacity to have a community together that doesn't involve the use of state power to govern X or Y. Right. Mm. And so we've seen fantastic examples of that here in Halifax recently. Uh, the Black Lives Matter Solidarity Fund of Nova Scotia raised, I think, something like one hundred twenty, one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Right. And mm -hmm. that money is going to people that need it. Right. It is it is citizens of the province understanding that you know what we need to redistribute some funds because mm. fundamentally we don't want people to die mm. and we don't need the state to be in charge of that right mm. there are all kinds of ways that we can work to collectively as a community to better the place that we live in but it requires us thinking very clearly about what what it is we wish to see so for me my personal politics i'm an abolitionist right so that doesn't just mean, hey, defund the police or whatever. It also means rethinking the way that we relate to each other. And I'm still learning and I'm still growing in that. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. This idea of defunding the police and this mm -hmm. idea of policing as a as a as a public health crisis for, for black community members. Um, you know, that's something that is on a lot of people's minds right now. And it's, it's like, it's definitely becoming a huge part of the, 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 like the global discourse that's, that we're currently in. Um, what are like, what are your, so, okay. So, so let's pretend I'm the person that's like, that's sitting here and, and, and looking at you and going defund the police. Are you, are you out of your fucking mind? Like right. what, who do you call? Who do you call when your, your neighbor's getting raped? Who do you call when, when, you know, when, um, when, when crimes are being committed? Yeah. We, yeah. When crimes are happening all over the place and, and, and at rampant rates, like what, how, how, how on earth could we ever think of defunding the police? Um, what is, what, 
prove me, prove me wrong. Change my mind on defunding the police. <laughs> right. Okay. So I, I, I attack uh, that question from, from three separate directions. The first is fundamentally most of the work that police officers do on a day-to-day basis has nothing to do with certainly violent crime. Most mm-hmm. of the work that they do has nothing to do with violent crime. They, most of their work is engaging with people with mental health issues, um, um, engaging with people who are threatening in some way, shape or form a particular kind of social and political space, right? So the homeless, right? Like show, showing up there, noise complaints. Oh, we don't like those kinds of noises in our neighborhoods. It's traffic stops, right? Like these are all things that the police do most of the time. So if we take out that solidly, let's let's be let's be conservative here and let's say solidly 65-70% of activity, right there we've taken a massive chunk out of the police budget, right? Like mm-hmm. just yeah. just just by having alternative approaches to some of those issues. Okay, we'll take that out. I think next- so just just to elaborate and clarify that a little bit too because people might hear that and go well, then who do I call if I have a noise complaint? Like, like I, I need somebody needs to come up. Well, that there would be a system set up right. that, yeah. rep- that with the funds that aren't right, being but I directed just wanna, to I want to clarify that. Yes. In case let, let, like- <laughs> let, let's be, yes, let's be very clear that when people say defund the police, they don't say, okay, defund the police. Here we go. It's, it's about a whole, it's a systemic change that, requ- that would require <laughs> policies that would engage differently with some of these problems that we've set up within the context of our society. So could we put together a team of professionals who are well-trained and well-versed in some of the challenges that folks with mental illnesses face to address those people, to engage them where they are and get and connect them to the services that might help them have a better day, have Mm -hmm. a better week, Mm -hmm. have a better month. Instead of criminalizing those people and possibly killing them, yeah. that it, it's it's a simple question, right? Um, sorry, I had an I, I had an experience. I had an experience. Well, Jay, you were there. We had an experience at um, we were at uh, the Commons of, uh, a few weeks ago, and there was a mm. there was a guy. He was he was uh, clearly dealing with me, uh, with severe mental health issues. Um, probably probably uh, uh, an addict of some of some sort and um or of some substance and he was he was causing minor issues and and i kind of sat and monitored and and he kind of went over to this woman he was he was he was being pretty disruptive to this woman and i was or he it looked like he was going to so i kind of monitored and thought okay well if he if he is then i'll go over and i'll just kind of i'll just sort of try to mediate de-escalate the situation de-escalate the yeah. situation and the whole time in the back of my mind, I was thinking to myself, like, do I call the police on this person? He's clearly drunk, high of some kind. And, and, and is he a danger to people? Is he a danger to himself? And sort of weighing what the benefit would be of, of notifying the police that this person is here and having these issues. And, and I didn't know where to go with it because my first thought was, God, I don't want to send this guy to fucking jail. Like he's, he's having a, he's having a real rough go and I'm not real. And I don't think calling the police is, is going to serve him any good because I think that they'll just show up and they'll cuff him and probably be rough with them. 
and they'll throw him in they'll throw him in the drunk tank for the day or whatever and then he'll be on his way 24 hours from now and who knows what we goes hope. on in the drunk tank yeah we, exactly oh, well yeah in in the very yeah. least yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah and then and then on the other side I'm weighing you know is it but is it better to do that because he could be a danger to himself he could i mean he's 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 inebriated on some level he could be he could harm himself he could harm somebody else and like weighing all these things and you know eventually coming to the conclusion that you know I'm just going to go over there and and say hey what's going on is it cool like if this comes to an end but just the fact that I that it really did take a a, a deep amount of consideration as to whether the police were 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 more harm than help well, in this that situation is so you know, uh, and, and there are folks. There have been folks in the in Halifax, across North America, and like I should be very clear here. There have been there have been folks that have been doing this work for decades, right? There have been folks who have been doing this work in Halifax for many years. So I, I think about L. Jones. I think about uh, mm. you know. I just think about a whole host of individuals who are far more kind of lucid on some of these things than I, and I'm still learning f- from them in terms of to, to pass these things out. But mm. but I say I say those things to say this. What we're trying to do is imagine a society where everyone's humanity is paramount to the way that they are treated by everybody else. And the police, in my mind, do not fit into that conception of that future. They, mm. they don't, right? Like that is not what they're set up for. That is, e- even though individual officers may absolutely express that level of humanity, and I don't want to take away from those individual officers, the system mm. and the institution of policing mm-hmm. is not. It's mm. not, and it never has been. That's not the fundamental logic that policing operates within, right? Mm. And so when we, when we when we engage on that basic level of saying hey this guy's probably having a really bad day what would be best for him 99.9% of the time i promise you the thing that was is best for him is probably not having a, an officer show up mm-hmm. and as for the, the 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 classic red herring argument is what about rapists what about murderers mm. and i would never i would never deign to speak for um, those whose family have been murdered. I would never deign to speak for uh, survivors of sexual assault um, uh, uh, in, in any way, shape or form. But I would say that statistically speaking, the likelihood <laughs> that the police are actually going to A, find, charge, you know, do, bring, do, to justice. Do, bring to just, justice, um, and I used air quotes here, mm-hmm. justice, the perpetrators of that violence are relatively slim. Then, of course, we might go to accounts from survivors who might seem, I, I've read some, and so I, again, I can't speak to it, but I, I can mm-hmm. say that I've read some, who say that that process was in fact harmful to them, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the question again becomes, well, is this system serving people? It's probably not. And then this other red herring that's constantly constructed when we ask, why would you defund the police? Is saying, well, they help make me feel safe. And what? Right. Uh, and the question that I would ask to those who would say that is, well, you might want to interrogate that because they make me feel, me personally as a black man, profoundly unsafe. Yeah. When I walk down the street in the North End or in the West End and I'm mm. walking and it doesn't matter what I'm wearing, it doesn't matter, you know, I, I, I push aside and I reject all of that different respectability politics stuff. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing, it doesn't matter who I'm with, it doesn't matter what time of night or day that I'm in. If I see a cop, I get scared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Nor, sh- nor should it matter what, what you're wearing or what you it, look like or how you're what what you're doing. It shouldn't not. matter. Of course. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I, I was, you know, I'm, and I'm glad that you you touched on all that because I, it's uh, to be to be if I'm going to be like super frank and and really really transparent and honest. Um, when that when that first came to light, that idea of of like defunding the police, I I remember my initial reaction was like, God, that sounds that sounds absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a world without police. I immediately went to like, oh, uh, defunding the police means completely abolishing the police. No more, no longer having the police. That was and my. I think, it, I think it was. I think it was literally that day. I read an article that came out. It was like a Rolling Stones article um, that that was quoting the. Uh, it was it was Dallas Police Chief David Brown, and this was back in 2016. Mm-hmm. And he 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 basically was like coming out to say we need we need a, a total like overhaul about mm. the way that we view police and how our, how police work within within our system within our within our society and his whole thing was like we like we just we are we assume the cops are there to to take care of far too many things right. Absolutely. Any any and every issue that that comes up, it's like handed off to the cops, and that just doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, and well, and, and so it, it took me it took me to like it took me that to read that to go, oh okay, wait a minute, take a step back. Maybe there is something to this. And now the more the more I'm the more I'm seeing online of 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 people talking about the you know how this uh, this concept of defunding the police is could. could I shouldn't even say can, but like will just benefit society. The more I'm, I, I get it. Like the more I'm, I'm, I'm so, mm. I, I'm not resistant to it now. I'm so mm. open to the idea mm-hmm. to it. And like Tari, to hear you express, express it from like, it, from your own point of view, it's like, yeah, fuck, of course. Like what, what are mm-hmm. we doing here? Yeah. What's the I, point of all the, this? The thing was the, the, the my initial, re, my initial reaction was that at the, at, that one of the issues that plagues all of these all of these police brutality things is is uh, the wrong people being hired, and then the wrong people subsequently getting uh, getting uh, insufficient training, and that was that was kind of, and then I and then and so then the defunding the defunding uh, idea was like, oh my god, is there going to be is there going to be like, is there going to be smaller salaries for the boots on the ground people that will then get more poorly trained because of, that was the, that was sort of the, the lens mm. through which I was viewing that. But then, and then some, like on the, along the same lines as you were putting, as you were saying there, Tari, is the idea that police are doing, and, and you, Jeremy, that police, that police have this like massive umbrella of responsibility. And so much of it actually isn't the, the, the like really like nitty gritty crime stuff that if if another system was set up to handle all of these things that the police that you know someone carrying a gun around doesn't need to be handling if that was set up under some other system and some other organization and then and then dollars were spent on the police doing the things that they that you that you might need a gun to do or you might need really high quality training to do that the dollars that are spent on on that training and on the people that do that job are just high, are high quality. 
Right. Well, I mean, I, I would I would go a step further and simply say that, like, if we if we believe if we can contend for a second, and, and I would certainly contend this, that crime is socially constructed. Right. How is it the case that that homeless man in the park who is a little drunk and who was having a really bad day might be considered, quote unquote, a criminal. But those right. who are defrauding Canadians for millions and millions and millions of dollars every year, particularly vulnerable Canadians, aren't pursued in any way, shape or form. Well, that's because right. one has this very visible sense of like, I am enforcing state power <laughs> upon you. And the other one has this kind of very, uh, quote unquote, white, white collar crime Mm. construction layered upon it right so Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. who those who park their money in tax havens why where's the enforcement right like where's the broken windows for for evading the cra right like and and that's not to say that that's what i want to see per se but but it's to say that that this is this is socially constructed and that in fact it is the way that we think about what it is to exist in our society, what it is to be a quote unquote criminal that needs to change. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so I get, you know, I, even when we, when we talk about defunding the police, I get very sensitive to the idea that what this might be a call for is a bit of a funding cut. And then that gets farmed out into auxiliary mm. services and we call it a day. No, that's not, that can't be what mm-hmm. it is, right? Like when, when we, when we talk mm. about abolition, we need to actually talk about abolition and we need to think right. about the better world that we can produce that mm-hmm. may happen incrementally, but those increments can look a lot larger. They could be a lot bigger chunks than the increments we've been sold in the past. It can't happen literally tomorrow, but could it happen mm. next year? Possibly. Right. And I, mm. and I have, I have that kind of belief um and, and commitment and desire um and i think that we have to start stop talking around um the roots of where policing comes from the way that crime is constructed to criminalize some and to absolve others um and the effects that policing has on the health of our communities mm. yeah the it, it's like i'm all for step in the right direction but but like the incremental change is the thing that frustrates me the most. And like mm-hmm. to go back to the, the looking at like the foundations of the systems that exist and where they come from. Like if you just, the thing that was most striking for me is that when I was looking into this idea of defunding the police and trying to understand it better. Um, I was thinking like, oh, we don't need to defund the police. We need to fund them more because they need more training. But then it's like the solution isn't more training. The solution is the system is broken. So replace it with something yeah, that works. Look at where it came from. It came from slave or er, uh, policing was born from the emancipation of slavery. It, it, it only started as a concept after that. So like mm. if you look at the root of it and where it came from, it's like this thing is is built on a foundation that shouldn't exist in today's society. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's all that that that's that's it. And I do think that like, you know, we we get to this stage in some of these conversations where, you know, we start to struggle to imagine something new. But mm-hmm. the beautiful right. thing is that there have been people that have been working, particularly black women, black and indigenous women, have been imagining that new thing for a very long time. 
Right. We just have to go and listen to them and put mm. them at the front of our movement and put them at the front of our efforts and climb down collectively, <laughs> um, especially especially men, especially cisgendered men. We need to climb down from our contexts, our places of privilege mm. and put the people that have been doing the work to imagine this future to the forefront because they are the ones who are doing it anyway, whether mm. or not we're on board. Right. Mm. Um, so. I, I, you know, I, I, I think that like incrementalism comes as this kind of very instinctual response. It's like, okay, I know that things take a really long time. I know, you know, myself being a policy researcher, I know how policy works. I know that, you know, we have this, this supposed rational policy approach and we've got to submit these briefing notes and then eventually it gets to be law by virtue of blah, blah, blah. You know, I could, I could take you through the whole thing. But you have to you have to pay for a class at Dell to do that. <laughs> but, but 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 I understand that those things exist. But I refuse to let my imagination and my commitment and my activism be limited by those narrow frames. I refuse mm-hmm. to let it happen um, because what once you let that happen, what you essentially say is that actually the status quo plus or minus a few tweaks is just fine, and it's mm-hmm. not. It's not mine. Mm, mm. Well, Tari, I want to say thanks, man. Thank you for for taking the time out of your day today to sit down with us and to to again like continue to tackle this this big um, this big conversation that we we have found ourselves circling back to over and over again over the last couple of months uh, because there's clearly a lot of work to be done and the work that you are doing is vitally important. And uh, I can speak beyond. Uh, uh, I can speak on behalf of the three of us when I say that uh, we are we're just eternally grateful that there's people like yourself out there doing that work, and uh, we are we're here with you through and through. You know, so <laughs> thank it's, you uh, so much. It, yeah, and I and, and that. yeah, and, and and I I I, I want to just thank you for um for for offering that up to our listeners because I, again I think it's really really important. Yeah. Thank you. No, Absolutely. I appreciate it. And I, I would just like to say, you know, to your listeners, don't don't take me as an authority on any of this. Go read. Go read mm. an awful lot. Go listen. Mm-hmm. Go listen to the people that have been doing this for years and years and years. Um, and go form your own assumptions or, or go form your own understandings of what, what mm-hmm. that future could look like. You know, engage in this kind of broader communal process of unlearning this kind of violent system and learning something new. Um, mm. That's the one thing I would I would leave your yeah. listeners with. There you go. We're back. Uh, And that was a recording that we did earlier in the year 2020. Remember that year? (laughs) I'd rather not. (laughs) I'd rather forget about it, Taylor. (laughs) I kind of (laughs) don't. Me either. (laughs) I don't even remember this afternoon. But you know what I do remember? That conversation with Tari because Mm -hmm. it was an absolute delight. It was a gem. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful times all around and uh this has been a wonderful time Mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to all the future recordings that we get to do here in the studio 
<clears throat> and, we got some um, great ones coming up. We got some yeah. great, great recordings lined up. Cannot wait. Um, and also uh, maybe perhaps a little return from a past f- uh, favorite guest. So uh, looking forward to rolling out the episodes. And speaking of that, um, you can catch them every Monday, every Friday, right here, wherever here is. Wherever you are, you know, uh, but you don't necessarily have to listen to it where you're listening to it now. You can listen to it anywhere uh, with the magic of the Internet and listening to our podcasts wherever you find podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify and the CBC Listener. And if you have any information whatsoever on why Jeremy's poo-poos are so, so runny when he drinks a bunch of water, you can send that information to letters at sickboypodcast.com or if you are a fan and you've got some fan mail or you're a doctor and you're a fan, then you can write us both all in one shot. Letters at sickpointpodcast.com. Well, we'll, I mean, we'll read the fan mail and why Jair's poo is so watery on the show. (laughs) And if you want to be a guest on the show, go to sickpointpodcast.com slash contact and fill out the form and maybe you'll be one of our amazing guests. And thank you, as always, to the amazing people who make this show happen. That would be the wonderful Lauren Sankey. The wonderful Jeremy Saunders, Aww. the delightful Taylor McGilvery, and the unfortunate Brian Stever. Uh, also, <laughs> guys, see, I just got to dish one out to myself so that I feel like it's not just you guys. I feel like we didn't make fun of you enough today. I think, no, no, I, I liked it. It was Maybe nice. we're just feeling too good about being in the office, so we didn't like, we didn't have that. I hope this bone. never ends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was so sad. Uh, and also, as always, I'd like to give a huge shout out and thank you to the wonderful Jeff Lonis for helping us with all the things he helps us with as our manager. Mm-hmm. And a huge shout out to Jeremy Saunders, who is also cutting this episode together uh, with help from Lauren Sankey this week. And uh, the amazing uh, Rich O'Coin for the theme music. Thank you so much, Rich. We Rich, love you, Rich, and Rich. you are the greatest. That is it for this week. My name is Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.